so many stepmoms feel alone and like no one understands what they're feeling and they don't talk about it because of the stigma and the double standards associated with this role. And as a result, they feel guilty for their stepmom experience. They feel guilty for the resentment and the anxiety or for feeling overwhelmed or thinking about what it would be like to not have married someone who has kids. Or sometimes things are great, but they're still struggling to deal with the kid's mom or the insecurities about being the second wife. Each month in the Kick-Ass Stepmom community, I talk to a stepmom who is feeling these things. We do a 20 to 30 minute call where I share some strategies to help them navigate their stressors. It's this free coaching call for a member who is willing to anonymously share what they've got going on. And then the conversation is shared on the members only podcast for other stepmoms to listen in. And every day I get messages from stepmoms who are so grateful to hear that someone else is experiencing things the way they are. They feel less alone. They feel less guilty. They feel more freaking human. Recently, the calls have been about how to stop arguing with the ex over expenses or what child support is really for. There have been calls on how to navigate teenage attitude or how to stop feeling so triggered about everything. How to deal with in-laws who have no concept of boundaries or what to do if the in-laws are still tight with the ex. Listening in on these podcast interviews is just one of the benefits about being in the kick-ass community. And if you're not yet a member, you can head to jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership to join. Members also get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way or how to improve your relationship with your stepkids. Like I said, you can apply for free coaching calls. You can connect with me in the chat room or during my live Q&As. You get access to private interviews with experts like estate planners or psychotherapists or lawyers. It's kind of like a Netflix of stepmom support. Head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership to join. And if you want to have your own free coaching call, don't forget to apply when you're there www.jamiescrimmage.com forward slash membership to join the kick-ass stepmom community. A lot of people come into therapy and they're like, I'm not happy. I want to be happier. And my first response is always like, well, what does that even mean? Because we culturally have this idea of like, we're trying to reach a pinnacle, like a Mecca of happiness, but there's actually no definition to that. Like, what does that even mean? And so what, like, I think everybody else considers happiness. I consider moments of joy versus happiness, which is just sort of like baseline, which is the idea, in my opinion, that you can handle what is coming your way. You feel okay, like fine, content, when you know that you have the tools and the support system to be able to fix the things you want to fix and get through the hardship. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hey, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, to start, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a reaction to something and then afterwards were like, uh, I wish I didn't do that. And you realize it maybe wasn't that big of a deal. Or do you struggle to change certain behavior patterns or maybe reactions that you know aren't serving you, but it's just become this habit that you just can't seem to break? Well, I know that I can raise my hand yes to both of these, and I'm pretty sure that I am not alone here. 
And so today's guest is going to help us change those patterns. Today's guest is Maddie Elberger. She is a New York State and Florida licensed therapist, and Maddie provides a variety of evidence-based treatments, including cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, and she's just so great to talk to. She specializes in the treatment of children, adolescents, adults, and families struggling with a wide range of challenges including anxiety, depression, emotional dysregulation, interpersonal difficulties, life transitions, stress management, something we can all really benefit from. So in this episode, we talk about healthy coping mechanisms, how to change behaviors that aren't serving us, how to manage reactions that we aren't proud of. And she also talks about why she believes that venting is just not an effective strategy for dealing with stress, which I thought was really interesting. All right, let's dive in. Maddie, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you. Thrilled to be here. Very excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, I was going through this morning, just a bunch of stuff that I wanted to go over with you because, you know, so many different situations come up for stepmoms when it comes to managing reactions, trying to change our mindset, dealing with stressors, maybe getting into patterns of responding to things in ways that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, kind of wish I didn't do that one. So before we do, I would love if you could just kind of introduce yourself to my crew. Sure. I'll give my little elevator pitch. My name is Maddie Elberger. I'm a cognitive behavioral and dialectical behavioral therapist in New York City. I was trained at Columbia doctorally. I got my master's and then doctoral training at Columbia University. I run a private practice here in New York City in Union Square. I see patients in person. I see patients online. I wear a lot of hats. I also teach at Columbia. I supervise students. Like I'll mentor and supervise and provide kind of like the weekly let's check in and talk about your cases for new clinicians. I do lots of stuff that has to do with trauma, aside from my DBT stuff, which is really my bread and butter. I'm also big into trauma therapy, OCD, and mindfulness. So I would love to start by talking about, you know, I think a lot of us want to change our reactions and our thoughts about different situations, right? Stressful situations in our lives come up. We either respond in ways that we're not proud of, or we, you know, feel consumed by the extra stress. Sure. Can we talk a little bit about ways that we can, you know, manage that and try to change our behavior? Absolutely. So this is a great question, particularly because I'm a DBT person, right? And so if you're talking to somebody who's more of a CBT person, they might have a slightly different answer or basically saying the same thing, which is essentially, how do we act different? How do we respond rather than react in situations that tend to bring up the intensity of certain emotions, whether it be anxiety, guilt, which oftentimes looks like anger? right? We feel bad about something. It might come out as like being defensive or snarky, right? Or our kids might be defensive or snarky. We are worried about something. It might come off as like irritability, right? So a lot of times the intensity of the emotion will then drive a anger-based response, which is not reflective, like you said, of what we're trying to express or communicate. That's not our goal. And it also, it doesn't fix the thing. And we end up doing these things over and over again. And, And so, To me, based on my experience and just what I know, 
changing behavior is theoretically easier than changing thoughts. And if you've heard me on other podcasts, you've probably heard me say this. Your thoughts will change and your emotions will change from behavior change. And it's really, really difficult for us to like argue with our own thoughts. You know, us human beings are always going to find a way to like find some evidence that confirms our bias, right? Or our belief. And so what we actually need to do is like prove ourselves wrong or prove ourselves different in order for us to learn a new behavior. So that's kind of like the DBT general approach is behavior first, everything else will follow. And so when we're talking about behavior change or we're talking about different responses and learning a new behavior, learning a new habit, you know, the first thing we need to do is pause on the other thing, <laughs> you know, whether it's the yelling or the storming out or like the immediately responding to a text or immediately calling our partner or spouse and being like, I have had enough of it, whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. That stuff, that's step one. We have to learn to not engage in that before we can replace with something more effective. And that's because when we're in what we call in DVT, like a red zone moment where we're like, ah, like our emotions are at like, you know, a 70, 80, 90, 100, like freak out mode. Or as I like to call it to my patients, like when you're in like Chernobyl level crisis, like you're not doing anything great in Chernobyl level crisis. And so we don't want a problem solve. We just need to stop, mm-hmm. stop the thing that we usually do. Right. So that's step one. And we have lots of distress tolerance skills for that. And so it's essentially how do you bring your mind and your body, this again, behavior to something else? It's not necessarily going to make you feel better. It's just going to stop you from doing the ineffective thing, the thing that's not working for you. And once you have a handle on being able to redirect yourself and continue to maintain that redirection instead of acting on a behavioral urge, right? to yell, to scream, to text, whatever it might be. Once you have that under control, then you can figure out how to fix the thing. So how to actually communicate what you're trying to communicate, how to solve whatever the problem is in a way that's going to be reinforcing of more like longer lasting change. That just can't happen until we stop doing the thing we don't want to be doing that we still do anyway. So that's kind of the general version of this because there's a gajillion skills that I could give you. But does that somewhat answer your question in a very long-winded way? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in my program, I have a, a program for stepmoms. It's called Redefine Stepmotherhood. And I talk to stepmoms about the importance of, you know, being proactive with your reactions. So like looking back and being like, okay, so last time the ex did this or last time my stepkids did this, this is what happened. This is how I responded. And it's like, okay, well, is that working? Like, did it help the situation or did it make matters worse? Okay. What am I going to do next time instead? And it's easy to, you know, say that when you're not all activated, right. But when you're in that moment and you're feeling super triggered, getting yourself to the place where you are like, okay, I'm not going to respond to that text, even though you have like a big long paragraph written, or you want to like call your partner and just like let it rip. Is it good to have something like planned in advance for when that happens? Like, how do you talk yourself out of that place? Because mostly when I'm in the red zone, it's kind of like, I'm really not that reasonable. Right, exactly. That's why we like, we don't want to try to fix anything. Because when we're emotionally dysregulated, we're cognitively dysregulated, which means like we're just impossibly irrational. So yes. So what I like to do with all of my patients, but you don't have to be a patient to do this, is to create a list of 10 things 
the stress tolerance list, if you will, right? 10 different things that you will do in the moment instead of the thing that you don't want to be doing. So first and foremost, you need to identify like, okay, the actual thing that's not helpful here that I keep engaging in because it feels good in the moment is the texting or is the calling, you know, identify. Here are 10 things I'm going to do when I'm in situations that I tend to respond this way or I feel myself, I notice thoughts and emotions that are leading me towards responding this way. So you kind of have to do a little bit of pre-work Mm-hmm. you know, to like figure out what it is you want to change and what are some of the things that bring on this situation. And then I say 10 things, five minutes each at least, because that's 50 minutes of not acting on an urge. And if you can make it 50 minutes and you're being, you know, relatively mindful, which means present with whatever it is that you're choosing to do instead, you're putting time and distance between you and the triggering situation and the urge, making it less likely for you to engage in the thing again that you just don't want to be doing. That's just not working great. And if you need more time than 50 minutes, if you still feel that same level of intensity of emotion, well, then do the list over again. But again, I'm very mindful to say we're not engaging in this stuff not to make ourselves feel better. We're engaging in this stuff to allow ourselves enough time to come down from a situation so that we can tolerate the irritation, the anger, the shit, whatever, whatever, whatever not necessarily delete it because there probably is still a problem that needs to be solved. And so what are things you could do? The short answer is anything mindfully. So anything that you can bring your full attention to while noticing whether or not your mind is being pulled away to the thing like that's pissing you off or making you nervous and bringing yourself back. So one of my favorites is like call a person, phone a friend, if you will, not to vent. We don't want to vent in the moment of high emotion because you're shaking your head. Do you know why? Well, I heard you talk about it on another podcast, but I would love for you to explain. Sure. The reason it feels good is because like that's what the emotional response is pulling from you. And like for an emotion mind, like that's the impulsive, like immediate what's going to feed the emotion, right? Like not what's going to start the emotion. So like the urge to vent is like totally reasonable and natural and also not helpful if you're trying to like potentially do things differently. So when we call someone and we vent, we are maintaining or increasing the intensity of the emotion because we're talking about it. We're thinking about it. We're being judgmental about it. We're doing all these things that maintain the experience of feeling an emotion, if not intensify it. And so there is a time and place for venting. It's just not in the red zone, right? What you actually want to do, and your goal is not doing the thing that's unhelpful, but being able to like press the brakes on that. What you want to do is you want to call or FaceTime somebody and you might want to like just tell them in advance, like you're going to be my person that I'm like going to need five minutes of your time to like talk at me. And you can say like, tell me about your day. Tell me about, it literally doesn't matter. Like what recipe you recently made, like read me the recipe. My ex-husband is a big football fan. And that's like the one thing I took from him. He's a great guy. Um, But I became a big football fan. So back when we were married, what I used to do if I needed like a five minute reset was I'd call him and be like, tell me the football news of the day. And what you kind of want to do in that moment, again, because it's all about doing things mindfully is like you want to be so tuned in, like be listening so intently that like you almost want to say to yourself, like I'm memorizing what they're saying. And that allows you to notice like how focused you are and present versus like whether or not your mind is going to something else, which it inevitably will. So you will have to then bring it back. Does that all make sense? Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Now I can hear people listening and their response would be, 
well, easier said than done when I'm really pissed off about something or if, you know, you work with people who are like self-harming, who have like, you know, a lot of very troubling behaviors that can be damaging. So how do you help them overcome? Like, we're talking like huge emotions here. Sure. What does someone do when they're struggling? Is that why there's so many things on this list? Yes. That's why there's so many things on this list. That's why also like if you're a person with big emotions, whether you are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or not, or you're just like a person who like is sensitive. Like I'm definitely like a big sensitive person, right? So if you're in DBT, number one, you're learning these skills in skills group and you're also talking about them in individual therapy. But this is the cool thing about DBT is that your therapist is available to you outside of session. So different therapists have different kind of like limits around what we call phone coaching, but like I'm available 24 hours a day, seven days a week because of exactly what you're saying. If somebody's in a moment like where they know they want to do something differently and they feel like they can't or they haven't been in treatment for long enough to know what to do, that's a great time to call your DBT therapist and say, here's a situation. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do differently. And so it could be like, I want to impulsively text back my kid or it could be, I want to self-harm. God forbid. You know, so like, and in that moment, I'm able to then say, okay, it's not a session. It's 10 minute conversation max. I hear you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to go do those things. And then I might circle back or I might not. Depends on what's going on with the patient and how well I know them and all, you know, there's a lot of different stuff that goes on. But like, I might say, all right, go do those things. Send me a a picture of you doing each one of them. So I know you're doing them, right? And either circle back to me in four hours, just let me know what's up, or we'll get to this in session. But I need you to go do those things, right? And so I'm attacking it in the moment. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if you're not in DBT, it's okay. Even if you do nothing in those moments and like then start doing another activity or engaging in something else, or you wait 10 minutes and then you do the ineffective thing, like you're still building up the capacity to just time out, like to pause. That is the biggest area that we all could work on is like, how do I just wait one second before I do something? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like taking that time to process and really be like, okay, is this going to help the situation? Like, is this what I actually want to do in this moment? Or am I, you know, reacting based on these emotions that feel like they're taking over, right? Like just being more conscious about what's going on. Exactly. And just giving yourself a minute to be like, I'm going to do nothing. Mm -hmm. I know I have the urge to do this. Like, can I wait five minutes? I tell people and I do this myself, like set a timer to see how long you can do something different for. That's why we have a distress tolerance list because it allows you to put your mind somewhere else. It's like helps in refocusing because you have something else to focus on. And that could literally be anything. So could it be like, go for a walk? Yep. Listen to a podcast, go do a workout, you know, make Mm -hmm. a smoothie, like things like that. Like just anything. Absolutely. Literally anything, as long as it's not related to the thing that's making you feel dysregulated. Yeah, you can do any of those things. Again, though, like we can also do anything mindlessly, right? Like there's times where like I'm listening to a podcast and if I'm not being mindful, like I'm replaying it because I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on, right? So the goal here is to do it mindfully, which doesn't mean to be Zen. It just means to be present and continuously maintain your focus on the thing that you're doing, which means you also have to be present with the fact that your mind is going to go back to like the 
activating event because that's just natural. Like that's what brains do. So it could literally be anything as long as you're doing it mindfully. I will also add that there is a set of skills. We call them the tip skills in DBT that have to do with changing our brain chemistry, parasympathetic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system, and having us go from fight or flight to rest and digest. So these are great tools because you don't have to like think and you can kind of use them as like the first line of defense in order to then help you be able to like refocus on other stuff. So this is the ever popular right now, putting your face in cold water and very, very, very cold water. This can look like a very short burst of intense exercise. So like running stairs for like two minutes as fast as you can. The idea is that it brings your heart rate up. And therefore, it has to bring your heart rate down. Mm -hmm. Like your body is doing the work for you. I recommend that stuff too. If you're putting your face in water, the trick here is like you don't have to like shove your whole head in the water. (laughs) This is not like a, you know, we're not shampooing. It's just put your face specifically like your sinuses. I like to call it, you know, where your sunglasses go. Hold your breath for as long as you can. Do that at least 10 times or until you feel your heart rate go down because literally physiologically, because of the parasympathetic nervous system, your heart rate will go down. So what's that doing for you when you're feeling riled up and you're feeling the stressor? So what does that do in your body to reset? So it literally turns our sympathetic nervous system off and turns our parasympathetic nervous system on. So sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze parasympathetic nervous system is rest and digest. It's the nervous system that turns on when we are in cool down mode, right? And so when we're in like super activated mode, we're obviously in the fight, fight or freeze, like probably in the fight. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're anything like me, you're definitely in the fight mode. So Mm -hmm. by engaging in certain physiological sensations, we're actually able to like flip the switch manually, if you will. And so that's why the ice water thing is great because we flip that switch manually. We're actually saying, okay, I can do this by activating something called the dive reflex, which tricks our body into thinking that we're drowning in very cold water. So it actually conserves oxygen. It slows our heart rate down. You, You can feel it. You can feel it even if you're not super dysregulated. If you try this trick when you're like just, you know, whatever, you'll feel a slight difference. So I think it's really cool. And I love this skill. Just know that I like to bundle all of these things together. Like it's not going to be like doing this is going to maintain you for three hours. You know, like the effects from the tip skills last about 15 to 20 minutes. So it's a great, like I said, it's a great like intro for you to then be able to go distract yourself and go do other stuff mindfully. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, you know, then maybe respond in a way that you feel better about, right? Just like calming yourself down and getting yourself out of that red zone. Exactly. It's giving yourself the opportunity to to choose. You could still do like the the intense thing. It's just that you're now choosing as opposed to just acting automatically. Yeah. Maybe you still send the texts, but now you've really thought about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're choosing. You're saying, okay, like I'm going to do this now. Yeah. I had a recent situation like that. So it, you know, it's a choice. It's a choice. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we don't. My girlfriend, Hen, is always like, Jamie, don't send the text. (laughs) Just put your phone down. She's like, maybe you should 24 hour rule that one. That's like a long time. Give yourself like an hour. Yeah, an hour is good. I have been obsessed with mocktails lately, and I have a new one that I want to share with you. It is super refreshing. It's called the Grapefruit Mint Refresher. Here's the recipe. Half a cup of water, a cup of ice, two sprigs of mint, 
and a half stick pack of Element Grapefruit Salt. You know I'm a huge lover of Element, which is a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, etc. Formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet, from professional athletes to everyday moms, it's for everyone. Now, not only am I drinking Element before and after workouts, when I need to rehydrate, when I'm traveling, and after some wine, I now use it to make my mocktails and cocktails. Seriously, throw in some lime salt with some soda, tequila, lime, and mint, and it is also extremely delicious. 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Staying hydrated is crucial and a huge priority of mine. Proper hydration isn't just about drinking water, though. It means having adequate water and electrolytes. When you purchase Element from www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash kickassstepmom, Element is giving my listeners a free sample pack so that you can try all the flavors and pick your faves. That's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickassstepmom to get a free sample pack with your purchase. I was away in Austin at a hotel for a week and it was so good to sleep alone in my king size bed, woke up by myself. It was pure bliss. Honestly, like every mom and stepmom's dream. However, I was very excited to get home though, because I knew that there was a package from Cozy Earth waiting for me. Now my package included new fresh viscose bamboo sheets in a duvet cover and bamboo PJ shorts for the summer, of course, wide leg capris and long sleeve bamboo crew neck. Guys, you know, I'm obsessed with Cozy Earth. They have been a longtime sponsor of the show. The sheets are amazing. I have been sleeping in them for over a year now, but this new fresh set I can't even tell you, it is next level. Every morning, Darren and I have woken up and been like, these sheets are insane. As always, the PJs and loungewear do not disappoint. So comfortable, wash amazing, look good, feel good. Because when I'm in comfy clothes, I want to look somewhat put together. And Cozy Earth helps me achieve that. Check out Cozy Earth. I highly recommend it. Use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order. That's one of the highest discounts that they offer. Cozy Earth. They have been on Oprah's favorite things multiple times. It's luxurious. It's next level. You deserve it. www.cozyearth.com. Use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. And when you get your order, shoot me a DM. I want to know what you got. I am and always have been very obsessive about moisturizing my skin since as long as I can remember. I love getting out of the shower and just putting on a good lotion. And I always moisturize my legs and feet and arms and my whole body before I go to bed. In fact, I am so dedicated to this routine that even if I get out of bed and then I get back into bed, I do the whole lotion routine again. Darren's always like, Jamie, are you serious right now? Anyway, my moisturizing game is strong. And for the longest time, I have been looking for a super hydrating, clean, vegan, cruelty-free moisturizer that works and that I love. And I am proud to share that I have found one and I am obsessed. It is from Osea. I have been using the collagen body lotion and the anti-aging body balm, and they're so amazing. The collagen body lotion is ultra hydrating. It's lightweight and scientifically proven to visibly firm skin in just four hours. No joke. It does. And as we get older, we kind of need that support. 
When I hydrate, I want my skin to feel dewy and moisturized and firm and soft. And this stuff does it. It is packed with clinically proven ingredients, including vegan collagen and hyaluronic acid to deliver lasting hydration for radiant revitalized skin. Again, it also gives my skin this dewy look, which I love. In fact, this weekend I was up at the cottage and a friend was like, what are you using on your skin? It looks so dewy. I'm obsessed. And it was Osea. I'm also using the anti-aging body balm. It combines lasting hydration of the lotion and then the anti-aging benefits of a serum. I love it as well. So for over 27 years, Osea has been on a mission to create clean seaweed infused skincare that respects the natural world and makes skin look and feel its absolute best, which they're obviously accomplishing. So today it's called clean beauty, but it is what Osea has been doing since the beginning. Products are infused with seaweed because it's rich in vitamins and minerals and nutrients with endless benefits from the ocean. You have to go check out their site. There are so many products to choose from, and I cannot wait to try more. From skincare to hair products to body scrubs, there's just so many amazing products to choose from. So go to oseamalibu.com and use the code KICKASSSTEPMOM at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your order. That's www.oseamalibu.com and use the code KICKASSSTEPMOM at checkout to get 10% off your order. Okay, so let's talk about happiness and joy. I also heard you talk about happiness and joy on another podcast. And I thought it was so interesting the way you, you know, talked about how as our society, the way we define what happiness is, it's just not realistic. Yeah, sure. So this is my take. I think a lot of people come into therapy and they're like, I'm not happy. I want to be happier. And my first response is always like, well, what does that even mean? Because we culturally have this idea of like, we're trying to reach a pinnacle, like a Mecca of happiness, but there's actually no definition to that. Like, what does that even mean? And so what, like, I think everybody else considers happiness. I consider moments of joy versus happiness, which is just sort of like baseline, which is the idea, in my opinion, that you can handle what is coming your way. You feel okay, like fine, content, when you know that you have the tools and the support system to be able to fix the things you want to fix and get through the hardship. Like that's just the bottom line. It's a sense of self-efficacy. If I can do one thing, then I can pretty much handle anything. And so it's not that like negative things aren't going to happen or I'm not going to feel negative emotions. It's like you're okay. You're happy when you know that you have the capacity to handle those things versus joy, right? Which are those moments that I think that we all think about or that folks think about when they think about uh, being happier, which are like excitement or, you know, like going out to dinner and having a good time, being present in something really positive. Those are moments of joy and we want to increase our moments of joy and we want to increase our capacity to be able to be mindful of them. That's super important. Being mindful of noticing the joy will also actually help us feel baseline, more competent and capable, but we punctuate our life with joy. We can't maintain joy. Like that's not a state of being. And if you're like struggling with depression or anxiety for a really long time, you create this like, you know, Mecca of happiness that is actually not real and continues to reinforce like your thoughts and feelings that aren't working for you. And so it's, how do I build a life where I know I can handle the BS that comes up in life because we can't control pain. It just happens. And how do I also 
add in things that bring me joy, excitement, fun, playfulness, silliness, Mm -hmm. so that I'm not just getting through, I'm also enjoying and maximizing on what I have around me. I love that. It's so true. And I think just getting to the place where you have this confidence that you can figure it out. It's almost just this faith that you'll be okay. Right. And I think for me, like that's the feeling of happiness. That's the feeling of contentment and and even just like confidence in life. So it's like, even when shit goes wrong, or even when I'm really struggling with something, I know I'm good. Like, it'll be fine. Is that what you mean? That's exactly what I mean. It's like, it's not that you won't feel the sadness or the anger or the frustration or the anxiety. It's that you know that you can get through it. Mm -hmm. Do you think people have the expectation that there is going to be none of that in life, that they can get to the point where there isn't the frustration and the anger and the sadness? Is that like a goal? And that's why people are feeling so frustrated? I don't think intentionally. I don't think anybody thinks if they, when I say that out loud, you know, people are like, well, yeah, duh. I think though that what we're communicating to ourselves is like, I'm not happy and like, there's not enough good stuff in my life. And by the way, that could be true. Like you might need to increase good stuff. But first, that also means you need to, at the same time, be able to handle the other stuff because you won't be able to access the joy or increase it or create it without knowing that you can handle the other stuff that gets in the way. Human brains are primed, like we're created to like remember negative stuff more strongly. It is actually an effort to create more joy. And if you can handle and you can problem solve and you can get through negative things, you're going to have more joy. But so I don't know is that people really think they won't have any pain. I think it's that like people think that maybe they'll have less pain or like that they will care less about things. It's really not about that. I don't want anybody not caring about things. And I don't want anybody not experiencing a full spectrum of emotions. That's the human experience. I want people to know that they have the capacity they have a hand in their life. Mm -hmm. They have a capacity to control what they can control and manage that. And ride that out. Yeah. You know, I find, especially in the step family space, mindset is a really big struggle for a lot of, you know, people in my community, stepmoms. I get a lot of questions and saying, okay, how do I change my mindset around my stepkids or my mindset around my step family? Or I'm feeling resentful because, you know, the ex is doing this and I just can't shake this feeling. Mm-hmm. And how I feel about this, they just want a different mindset. And and I talk a lot about mindset in my work and it's something that I really focus on, but I also do have a naturally a positive mindset so I can kind of go there more easily. What advice do you have for people who like, let's say for an example, the stepmom just dreads their stepkids coming over, you know, they have a terrible mindset about it, but they don't even know how to change it. So a couple different things, right? Your overall goal is to change through behavior. Changing a thought, like you said, unless you lean towards like positive mindset, changing a thought is really, really hard. We can't really think our way out of things usually. And I think another important piece to this is like the thought is being driven by some emotion. Like this is a learned response somewhere along the way, right? So what we need to do in order to be effective is identify like, what does resentment mean, right? We throw these words around, we use these labels and like, we don't actually know what that means. Like what emotions are inside resentment? Is it anxiety? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it anger? What combination of those things? What are the thoughts that are fueling that? You know, or what are the things that have happened that have led you to feel this emotional experience and have these beliefs? Like, is it, I think the kids don't like me or I don't know how to act on them or I don't feel adequate around them or they're not kind to me. What are the thoughts that are driving these things, right? And then 
once you have this data and I'm like, we want data, we need data on our lives. We can't just say, I don't like this. I resent it. It's not giving us enough information to change it, right? Once you have that data, you have that information, then you can figure out what to literally do. And that's how you change your mindset is actually by doing things differently, responding in a different way. So whether it's like, you know, I don't know how to act around these kids, you know, then I have to learn, you know, let me talk to Jamie. Let me talk to other folks in the community. Let me talk to other people who have kids this age who I'm comfortable speaking with, who I feel accepted and validated by to be able to say, what the hell do I do with a kid this age? I just feel like I lack the knowledge and then I get really anxious and I hate it. Right. So that's problem solving. Or like fake it till you make it sometimes. There's a whole set of skills in emotion regulation called opposite action, right? So if you get like really frustrated with the kids, like maybe what you need to do is like act opposite. So like approach them with kindness. Like when you think they're being really annoying, because like kids can be really goddamn annoying. I used to do peds until I was like, I actually like working with the parents better. (laughs) So just saying, love kids, adore, obsessed, don't have them yet. Hope to get remarried and have my own kids. And like, they can be goddamn annoying. And if you haven't raised them from birth, it's hard sometimes, right? So perhaps when the kid is doing something really annoying and you want to pinpoint what that is, you either take a pause and you say, I'll be right back. And then you like go into the bathroom and do the tip skill maybe, or just give yourself a minute or send a text to a friend and be like, I'm going to kill this kid. Now I have to go back out there. Maybe you act opposite and you approach the kid with kindness when they are whining. You're like, wow, you seem so upset. It must be so hard to be upset like that. Like you sort of sometimes have to fake it till you make it. But again, you want to give yourself the data. What are the emotions? What are the thoughts that are driving these things? And then you can lead with behavior. And obviously learning requires doing something more than once. So don't think that if you do something once, then it's, you know, solidified. We have to take the time to actually consistently do the thing. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think it's really important to just acknowledge your emotions and be like, yeah, this is how you feel things, right? This is how you're experiencing things right now. Because I think often we get to the point where we're like, okay, well, I should feel more positive. And then you start to have these feelings of guilt and shame about the way you're experiencing a situation. And that doesn't help things either, right? Even just owning. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, collecting that data. Why do I feel this way? Okay. How do I want to act in order to change this situation? I think it's a lot easier than making yourself feel bad for feeling the way you're feeling. Sure. And again, it's like my goal here is to do something differently or to feel differently or to think differently. And so we have to be like, is this actually leading me towards that goal or preventing me from that goal? And the idea of like shaming ourselves, again, being judgmental of ourselves, it's so unuseful. It gets you nowhere close to that goal. In fact, this is one of those things that intensifies our emotion. So you need to be really specific with yourself. You can say, I wish I didn't feel like this. I wish I didn't think like this. But that's kind of where the judgment needs to stop if you want to be able to do things differently and why you want to understand and be able to validate an emotion. Emotions are always valid. Not every thought is valid, right? If you have the thought like these kids don't like me, that might not be a valid thought. The shame and the guilt and the fear that can come from that that's valid because you're thinking that thought. Now we just need to do something different with that thought. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So for example, say you feel anxious about being around the ex. Anytime you're around the ex with the kids around, you feel uncomfortable. You feel like you don't want to go. You kind of want to, you know, take that step back. The opposite action would be to go and to push yourself and do something different and to show up differently and see what happens and see how that changes the way you feel. Yes, that's exactly it. Do the thing. Okay. 
do the thing, do the thing, do the thing, right? And do the thing wholeheartedly. Like if you go do the thing, but you're thinking the whole time, like, I hate this fucking thing. Sorry for cursing, but like, guess what? You're not really going to like, (laughs) you're halfway doing it. You're halfway doing it. So you need to do the thing and be mindful of just the thing, right? This is again, where we're using mindfulness, this idea of focused awareness. When you find yourself thinking about like not enjoying this event or this, you know, the circus, the park, the this, whatever, right? You have to notice that and bring yourself, focus on one thing, right? Do the opposite to what that thought is saying. Like go sit on the seesaw with the kid or, you know, talk to another mom in the park or throw yourself into the experience. It's going to be a faster learning or unlearning of the negative thought and relearning of like the positive or like neutral if you are fully, fully engaged or what we call all the way in DBT. Mm-hmm. And I do want to acknowledge this is a lot of work, right? Like if you're feeling resistance when you're listening to this right now, being like, I do not want to go sit on the damn seesaw or, you know, I don't want to go and put myself in this situation where I'm feeling discomfort. I get it. And maybe there is times where you should kind of take that back seat. But I like what you said when it says it goes back to what's your goal, right? How do you want to feel in this situation? And is what you're doing and how are you acting? Is it aligned with that goal or not? Because often we try to protect ourselves from these emotions. So then we, you know, take ourselves out of them, but then we feel upset because we don't feel the way we want to feel. It's like, well, we're not doing anything to feel that way. Exactly. And I think, again, like that's a really important, and that's why validation and really understanding that like you feel this way because of X, Y, and Z, like it actually makes sense is hugely important. Like at the end of the day, you're a human being, you're not AI, you're not a robot. Like you can't like chat GPT. I don't even know what that is, but like, it's a thing now, evidently. You can't program yourself in the same way a machine would. You just can't, nor do you necessarily want to because learning comes over time. And like, I know that's kind of an annoying response. Like it would be reductivist of me to say, well, yeah, you just do these things and everything's fine. That's oversimplifying and life is very complicated. And there are going to be times where you don't necessarily do the thing that you're trying to do that's getting you towards your long-term goal. And sometimes that's going to be because you chose not to. And sometimes that's going to be because you're on autopilot. And that's okay. Again, every moment is another opportunity to ask yourself, what's going to work for me here? How do I walk towards my wise mind? How do I walk towards my long-term goals? And the whole idea of mindfulness is not that you can never do the thing that like maybe isn't great. It's that you're choosing to. Mm -hmm. And so it's a practice and this is really hard. And this is why I think, you know, get a professional to help you get a coach, get a CBT or DBT therapist. If you feel like you really need extra help with certain things, because if this was so easy, once again, I would have no job. And like, there would be no body of evidence about this stuff. It's hard because it's hard. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling to find a therapist, you know, for example, you know, I was seeing someone, she retired, then I had this new girl that I really loved from BetterHelp. And then I just felt like we kind of outgrew each other. I was just kind of ready for something different. What is your advice for people who are struggling to find a therapist or they are worried about it not being a fit? Like, how does one find a good therapist? I mean, I think it's really helpful. Like you mentioned something before of like, what didn't go well? How do we prevent it for the next time? Like we call it like a functional analysis, huge fan of functional analyses in whatever area. So like, that's no different for finding treatment. So first and foremost, like I love to ask other people for referrals, whether it be a therapist, an MD, a massage therapist, yada, 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 whatever. So you can ask people like that you trust and that you like, you kind of feel like your values or like the way you operate on a similar level. Like, do you have 
happen to have a therapist? Does your therapist happen to have a therapist? So that's like way number one, right? I always like to go in if we can find someone who knows someone, fantastic. If not, then you want to think about, okay, like, what am I looking to work on? And like, what do I need to do? How do I imagine that happening versus like, what have I already experienced that didn't work for me so that you can like tune in on a methodology. And I really encourage if you are seeing somebody and you are ready to sort of break up with them, like you can say like, I'm ready to end treatment. I'm ready. Like, that's okay. Have an open and honest conversation because a provider that you've been working with, I like to believe will give you guidance on what to do next. Oh, you need this referral. You need that referral, whatever. Then once you figure out, do I want CBT? Do I want DBT? Do I need a coach? Do I want psychodynamic? Am I having social phobia? Whatever it might be, then you just Google that stuff. And honestly, honestly, you kind of have to go shopping. You do sort of have to like try different things on because it's really important that you feel connected. What I will say, especially for moms. So I am in my mid thirties, but like I present, I look young and I've been doing this for 10 years. Right. And so I have had parents throughout my career, judge a book by its cover. And I really strongly recommend to folks like, don't do that. You might end up losing out on an opportunity to work with somebody who's really, really appropriate for you. And yet, like, because of our own kind of preconceived stuff, we don't want to work with them. And that could be somebody who's a female or a male, or we think is younger than us, or we think is older than us. By the way, people come to me thinking I'm younger than that. I'm like, no, I have like five years on you. So like, <laughs> you know, it's like a nice thing that sometimes I'm just like, I'm tired of people thinking that I'm 25. How could I even be doing this if I was 25? But be firm on the things that really matter. What are my goals? How do I see myself getting there? Do I want someone direct or more passive, et cetera, et cetera? What has worked for me? What hasn't? And then allow yourself to be surprised by all the other fluff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And I like that you were saying how you can kind of like grow out of a therapist too. And it's kind of like a relationship, right? Like maybe it seems good for like a year or two. And then you're like, oh, I think I'm ready to move on. A million percent. Like that is a hundred percent true. And like, at least like for me and the way I was trained and a lot of my colleagues who are amazing, the goal of treatment is not to keep someone in treatment forever. Mm-hmm. The goal of treatment is to get yourself out of treatment. And, and you can do that in whatever way is feels appropriate. But like, You know, the way that I like to think about it, and I had a mentor say this to me once, is like, sometimes we don't get people to where we want them to be or we think they should be. We get them to the next chapter. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So good. I always say with this platform, you know, my goal is for you to not want to listen to this podcast or for you to not need to be in my membership or for you to not need, you know, you feel so confident in how you're showing up as a stepmom that you don't need to be consuming stepmom content anymore. It's second nature. You just live your life. So I, I love that. So we have the same goal, right? I love that you say it that way. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you so much, Maddie. You have been such a breath of fresh air. And I know that everyone is going to be so just, you know, taken back by your approach because I do think it's, it seems very common sense, but it's so much harder than it sounds like it is going to be. And then you get in it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. It's definitely a challenging thing to do. But, you know, if we do want to change our behaviors and change how we're showing up in these situations, this is the answer. Absolutely. It's easier said than done and it's still doable. Yes. Love it. Where can everyone find you, Maddie? So you can find me on my brandish new, not very brand new professional Instagram. That is millennial mindfulness 
doc because I am a millennial. I am an older millennial, but I am a millennial. Mindfulness doc, D-O-C. That's my Instagram. My website and my private practice is downtown behavioral wellness. It's all on my Instagram. My email is there. Feel free to check out my website. Contact me through my website. If you're looking for a referral, if you're thinking about treatment and you're in New York State or Florida, reach out, ask me questions. I'm happy to provide referrals. I'm happy to see if I'm a good fit for you. And that's that. I love it. And I love that you started to branch out and start to do the Instagram online thing because, you know, you're definitely a wealth of knowledge. And I think it's very relatable, right? You want to get information from someone who you can see yourself in. And I think that's what you bring to the table. I appreciate that. I try to be. I mean, I'm just as much a regular dysregulated gal as the next person. So like, I really use this <laughs> stuff and I'm glad that I can create a space people actually have access to things that could work mm-hmm. that aren't, you know, minimizing how we feel. Yeah. We're all just figuring it out as we go, right? Amen. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Maddie. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your stepfamily stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your stepfamily life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q&As. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.